Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Abashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Abbas Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Today's Mishnah, Chapter 2, um, Mishnah 8, and the, it's the second, really the third part of, um, of this Mishnah. So we had learned that Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai received the tradition from Hill and Shammai. He said that if you learned a lot of Torah, then don't, um, d- d- don't give yourself credit for that because you were created for that. Then the Mishnah told us, He had five students, and it listed his five students. Rabbi Lazar ben Hurkanas, Rabbi Shua ben Hanania, Rabbi Yossi Cohen, Rabbi Shimon ben Nisanel, Rabbi Lazar ben Orach. And then, That he would, he would praise their, uh, the, he would sing the praises of each one of them. And then we... Um, and, and now, and we yesterday we spoke about why that was beneficial to um, to speak the praise of his students. Why that was a, a good thing because he framed each one of his students, and by framing each one of his students, he made each one of them understand what role they played in the in the group called the students of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, and that was a very um, a very critical step to take. Okay, now. The today we're going to deal with one phrase, and this is the way it's going to be over the next the, the next while. It's really going to be phrase by phrase. But Rabbi Lezben Hurkanis, so he starts listing his students and he listing the praise of the student. And what was the praise of Rabbi Lezben Hurkanis? A bor sud she'eno ma'abed tipa, that he was a cemented cistern that doesn't lose a drop. Now, what kind of praise is that of a student? You're saying that he, he has an incredible memory and he doesn't forget anything? That's not anything that he did. That's not really a praise of a person. That's just the statement of fact, that he happens to have an incredible memory and it's something that he was blessed with that God gave him. But that doesn't make him any kind of a, of a, of a person. It doesn't make him any kind of a special person. So why would that be the quality with which he praised his student? What is the actual, what is the actual mida, the, the value? What is the, what, what is the character trait that he is praising of him? And what we're going to see today is something really, really magnificent. I need to add something in that's not printed in the Mishnah, but you'll, you, it'll be fine. The next Mishnah he turns to his students and he says to his students, what is the derech yeshara? What is the proper path that a person should go on? I will, I will talk more about what this proper path thing is, not for now, but, but he asks each of his students to say what the proper path is and what the path is you should stay away from. This student, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkinus, said that the proper path was in Ayin Tova was a good eye. And when he asked him, 
what's the worst path that a person should stay away from? He said that the worst path is an ayin ra'a, is a bad eye. So what we're going to try to conclude with today is, why would he have said the person who is a cistern that didn't lose a drop? Why would he see the world that what's the best quality the person should develop in his lifetime is a good eye, and what's the worst quality is a bad eye? Okay. Who was Rabbi Lezab and Herkinus? Rabbi Lezab and Herkinus was a Tana. His father, obviously, was Herkinus, a very wealthy person. His father wanted him to work and to be involved in the farm. They had a tremendous amount of farmland. His father wanted him to work in the business, and all he wanted to do was to go and to study Torah. And Hurkinus was found, found a way to, to leave the farm. His brothers and his father were extremely disappointed and angry at him that he had left. He ran to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and he studied Torah by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. For many years, they didn't see him. And finally, it came time that his father decided he was going to cut him out of the will. You know, we Jews have not operated in any different way for the past 2,000 years. You know, this is a story that I could tell about today. You know, it's a, you know, kid wants to go to college. Father says, you know, kid wants a kid to, father wants a kid to learn. Now a kid wants to learn. Father says, no, you're going to college. You know, this is, this is the same story over and over again. So Rabbi Lesben Herkinus goes, and, and he's sitting and learning Torah and becoming a tremendous, tremendous Tamachachim. His father, Herkinus, and his brothers came to Yerushalayim to see Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. And Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai put up the newest student to give a shear. And that newest student was Rabbi Lezer. And when Rabbi Lezer spoke, he wowed the pants off of everybody there, including his father. And his father said, wow, what an amazing Tamachachim. They told him, that's correct. It's your son. Beautiful story. Father, son get reconnected. No, they live happily ever after. But it was a tremendous metamorphosis that took place in Elizabeth Herkinus because it wasn't just that he was a farmer. He was actually considered a poor student. The reason, one of the reasons that his father wasn't really interested in him going and learn is because he felt that he didn't really have the qualities to be able to go and to learn. And that he was, he was you know, one would imagine the way that it's described in the Gemara, probably somewhat annoying to his, to his rabbeim. He would ask many questions. He, would, he, was, very, he was very precise and, and, and a, little bit, a, li- a little bit punctilious in things. And he was, he was a, probably a very difficult student to have. His father maybe was protecting the machanchem, protecting the teachers from having to, to, to teach such a challenging student. And in the end, Belezman Herkinus ended up to be one of the premier students of one of the premier sages of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. So, what exactly happened to Belezman Herkinus that he turned into this kind of student? So, to understand this, we have to understand, I'm only going to bring a part of this medrash, but an amazing, an amazing medrash that Moshe Rabbeinu said, in the Torah it says that Moshe had two children, 
One was named Gershon, one was named Eliezer. And it says in the Torah, Veshema Echad, Eliezer. And the name of the one of them was Eliezer. The Medrash says, the, re, the fact that the Torah uses the definitive Shem Ha Echad, the one child, was it was pointing out a special Eliezer. And says the Medrash, which Eliezer was it pointing to? Eliezer ben Hurkanus. That this Eliezer ben Hurkanus that we're talking about, this was promised to Moshe Rabbeinu that this was going to be one of his illustrious offspring, this Eliezer ben Hurkanus. Now Moshe Rabbeinu happened to hear God talk about Eliezer ben Hurkanus. He God talked about Eliezer ben Hurkanus who was not born yet, in the same way that he talked about Rabbi Akiva, how that works, again, not for now. But he talked about Elizabeth ben Hurkanus, and he called Elizabeth ben Hurkanus my son. He gave him special deference. And when Moshe heard that, Moshe said, I want a part of that also. I want that he should come from me. What connection does Moshe Rabbeinu have with Elizabeth ben Hurkanus? He didn't ask that Rabbi Akiva should come from him. He didn't ask that anybody else should come from him. We don't, uh, we don't attribute other sages to Moshe. The most we do is sometimes the Rambam and Moshe had Moshe. Right, for, from Moshe to Moshe, there was, there was no Moshe. But it's not, the, it's not on the same level. There's nothing that the Medrash attributes to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, oh, this is specifically one of Moshe's offspring 2,000 years later. What's Elizabeth bin Hurkanus? What does he have to do with this? Why would he be attributed to Moshe? What connection does he have with Moshe? So I'll tell you something amazing about prophets. We understand that no two prophets prophesize the signon echod using the same style. You have Jeremiah, the prophesies prophesies one way. You have Isaiah, the prophesies in a very different way. You have the prophet Habakkuk, which is a different kind of prophecy. Every single prophet prophesies in a different way. And the reason for that is is because every single one of us sees the world in a different way. If you're sensitive to something, you will see that in everything in the world. If you don't eat bread, if you're a celiac, you will see every bread advertisement in the world. You will see it every time you walk in the street. It'll be dancing in your face. You will see it in magazines. You will see people eating bread. If you have a sensitivity to that, and I can, I, I can describe this in, in many, many ways. You know, a, a, person, a person wants to have children, so then they're, and they're having difficulty having children. So they will see every pregnant woman in the world, they will see walking in front of them. And it's like, everybody's parading in front of me. No one's parading in front of you. It's life. But because you're sensitive to it, that's what you see. My father, Oliver Shalom, was an artist. And a very wonderful artist. And if you ever want to see his works in our shul in uh, in San Diego, my father's the ark, the the uh, bima, and the near tamid were all made by my father. He worked in every in every medium. He was a he was an incredible artist. And he would walk into a room, and he would see colors. He would see shapes. He would see colors because that's what his life was. That's what was that that was what was inside of him. We are all like that. When we become sensitive to something, one of the good things to do inside of ourselves is to ask us, why is that bothering me so much? 
Why is that bothering me so much? Because I'm particularly sensitive to it, either because I have that characteristic also, not necessarily in a great way, or because I'm particularly sensitive to this. We also have, along with that selective hearing, that because of that, we hear what we want to hear. Based on who we are, and based on the kind of people that we are, that's what we hear. I once gave a drasha on a Shabbos. I, I won't go through the whole drasha, but I, I, I remember this goes back 30 years. And, uh, and I spoke about Moshe Benu when God told Moshe to go fight a war against the Midianites. And they um, and and you know Moshe Rabbeinu went and he said and then afterwards you're going to die. So Moshe Rabbeinu went and he fought the war. And then afterwards, that was basically the end. Now what would happen if I came to you and I said do X, and afterwards you're going to die? When are you going to do X? Oh, 50 years from now you're going to schlep around a little bit. You're not going to rush to do it. So God comes to Moshe and says to him, "Go fight a war," and Moshe jumps. Moshe, what's the matter with you? Don't you value life? So the, the, the upshot of the drasha was that Moshe Rabbeinu valued life itself, and life to Moshe was living with mitzvah, was living with God's command. And if, it, if he wasn't living with God's command, then he simply wasn't living. Beautiful. I talked about people that need to get a buzz out of life because they have no sense of the, no sense of purpose no sense of connection to god god's not filling their lives so they need to they, they need to find the buzz they sit on roller coasters and jump off of mountains and and pretend that they're birds and do all kinds of things because they're not getting a buzz out of life person has to get a buzz out of life but you got to get a buzz out of god get a buzz out of the, great it was beautiful drasha beautiful drasha if i have to say it myself it was a beautiful drasha shabbos afternoon bashal shudas I'm sitting by Shalshudas, and two guys that normally come to Shalshudas pile in. They look like they were buried alive and came out of the hole. They were filthy. They were disheveled. They, they, looked, they, they looked miserable. I said, guys, what happened? You're not going to believe it. We went for a walk, and we were walking in a place called Black's Beach, and we were walking on the pathways, and one of the pathways collapsed. And we, and now the pathways are very dangerous. The pathways themselves are, are it's like, you know, mountain climbing. And the pathway collapsed, and we, were, we, we fell onto the beach, and we were covered in dirt. It's like, it, it was an incredibly dramatic story. They had to be saved. An incredibly dramatic story. I said, what possessed you? They were still wearing Shabbos clothes. I said, what possessed you to go walking there on Shabbos? So they looked at me and they said, you're Drusha. You said we have to get a buzz out of life. I'm thinking, did we go to the same shul? I don't, I don't get it. But that's, we hear the things that we want to hear. They, that's the message that they distilled because we distill it through ourselves. We wash messages through ourselves. You know, you could take 15 people that hear a shear and you can ask them, what did the rabbi say? And every one of them will tell you something different. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, you know, rabbi, it's like you said in your drasha. And I'm trying to think, when, what trust are you talking about? I've, like, I have no idea. But that's what you heard because that's the way we are. We hear the things that we want to hear, what our bend is. What our, 
our predistinction to something is what our what what we have a preconceived notion that's the way we see the world by the Remora, but by the by the Yifastoa, the woman who is the captive woman we if uh, the, the soldier wants to marry her we'll talk about this more some other time but but the the law is that she has to sit for 30 days and cry over her mother and father. And the rabbis tell us, what does it mean, sit for 30 days and cry over her mother and father? That means her mother and father is referring to her idols, and she has to cry over her past. She has to disconnect herself from her past. The Zohar says that that section of the Torah, which happens to always be read in the month of Elul, the Zohar says, this is the month of Elul. This is like the description of the month of Elul. What does it mean? What's she crying over her mother and father, crying over her past? She's having to break all the preconceived notions that she walked into life with. She was developed, which she now has preconceived notions. If she's going to embrace Judaism, if she is now going to become part of the Jewish people, she needs to get rid of those preconceived notions because otherwise everything she sees will be washed against those notions. I just gave a, a share about an hour ago on re- really pretty much on this topic on Alicia Benavuyo. Um, called Acher, who was an apostate. And he taught that if you want to learn, learn when you're young, because when you're old, it's going to be too hard. That's what the Mishnah says. It cannot be that that's what the Mishnah is teaching us. First of all, everybody knows that. And second of all, it's not a, it's not a mission. It's not an ethical, it's not an ethical thing. So what's the Mishnah teaching us? What the Mishnah is teaching us is, is that, and it talks about writing on clean paper and writing on erased paper. What Acher was telling us is, is that how you start off, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's as a child or as an adult that is making a change in their life, or even when you wake up in the morning, if you write on a dirty piece of paper, if all you do is carry the baggage from yesterday over and you try to reshape that, not going to work, won't be successful. But if you start fresh, it will be incredibly successful. Look, in learning, a lot of times you go to sleep at night, you have a question. You were learning something, a piece of chumash, a piece of gemara, it wasn't going anywhere. And then you sit down, you open up the next morning, you open it up and boom, you don't look at it and say, I had a problem yesterday. You just open it up, you start to learn it and it just flows, it opens up. Because when you write on new paper, when you write clean, then everything, things work. Because you have preconceived notions is what is what takes us down crazy roads. Because we come, we approach things with already almost the whole decision worked out, the whole situation worked out. Okay, I could spend I could spend hours talking about this, and we will. I mean, this will come up as a theme in many other things. That's why every prophecy prophet prophesies in a different way, because every prophet sees the world in a different way, and God has to give him a vision, which is what prophecy is, has to give him a vision that fits that particular prophet. Not so Moshe. Moshe was able to speak face to face, because Moshe was completely objective. When Moshe heard something, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe received everything that God gave him. Moshe wasn't washing it through Moshe's personality. Moshe wasn't looking at it from Moshe's perspective. Moshe was listening to it in an objective way, and he was distilling it objectively. And he was able to do this because of his humility. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't feature in this. Moshe Rabbeinu was small, of Mikol Adam. He was the most humble of all people. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu could be the giver of the Torah. Nobody else could have given the Torah. 
because everybody else in our history had a little bit of self, a little bit of sense of self, and what they were teaching was washing through themselves. By the way, do you know who your Rebbe is? You know who taught you Aleph Bays? That's your real Rebbe. Because that's the only person in your life that ever taught you total objectivity. Aleph, Bez, Gimel, Dalet is Aleph, Bez, Gimel, Dalet. Everything else, rightly so, is washed through the Rebbe. It's washed through the sensitivities of the Rebbe, the understanding of the Rebbe, the perspective of the Rebbe. But Aleph Bays, that is objective. And that's the way Moshe related to the Torah that God taught him with total objectivity. Most often, our objectivity is really subjectivity. It's just a little cleaner than pure subjectivity. So we call it, oh, I'm being objective. Yeah, you're not really being objective. You're really being subjective, but you're trying to be a little bit, a little bit grown up about it. So it looks like it's objective, but it's not really objective. Moshe Rabbeinu was really objective. That's why a Navi can't teach a law. A Navi, a Navi, a prophet, is not allowed to teach anything. We don't learn a biblical law from a Navi because a Navi is subjective. Moshe, as a Navi, was totally objective. And that's what a Bor Sud Ve'eno Tipa is. A cistern that doesn't lose a drop is not a memory. He's not describing a student with a great memory. That's not a quality. That's a trick. That's a shtick. That's something that God gave you. It's a gift. A borsud she'enum abitipa means that he was a cistern that didn't drop anything out of it because nothing was being washed in himself. Nothing was being lost in his own mind. It was all pure objectivity. You're giving me this, I'm giving this back. I'm now going to teach this on to the next student because I understand it as your Torah, not as my Torah. You know, we always say to people, I don't mind if you say my Torah in your name. But do me a favor, don't say your Torah in my name. Because that's what happens with subjectivity. I'm listening to you, but I'm hearing it in my life. I'm hearing it in the context of my living, which is, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing, but it's not objective. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu had. He had this quality. And that's what Elizabeth Urkin said. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said, Darabalezer, attach him to me because he has that quality. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was his connection to Rabbelezer ben Hurkinus because of this quality of being an objective learner, a completely objective learner. What went in is what he got out of it. No subjectivity, no personal bent, nothing to do with memory. And that was the praise that Rabbi Lazar ben Hurkinus was giving, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was giving to his student, Rabbi Lazar ben Hurkinus. He turns to his student and he says to him, say, go out. We'll talk about that also later. Go out, get out of the Bismarck, go into the world. And now I'm asking you to be subjective. Wash it through yourself. But based on your life, what do you think the most important quality is? And he says, a good eye. What's a good eye? What's an eye in Tova? An eye in Tova is that you look at other people and you see positive. You see the good in them. You want good for them. 
you know, if you think about it, that's a little problem. You know, when we say about people, they always see the positive side of things. You know what that really means? Life stinks, but they've decided to make the best of it. It's, it's, it's rotten, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make lemonade out of it. That's not an Ayantova. That's not an Ayantova. That's a good, a good quality, but it's not an Ayantova. And Ayantova looks at it and only sees the goodness in it. It's not that sees it rotten and then says, ah, well, I got to turn this into something, something, something positive. It focuses and sees the positive because there is nothing in this world that is completely negative. There is positive everywhere. And Ayantova looks at it objectively and says, look, subjectively, this stinks. I'm in a position now. Life is hard. I've got challenge X. I've got challenge Y. In my life, I don't need this. But now look at it objectively. Objectively, is it really something? Is it Now, it's, it's difficult, but is that the end of the world? No. Difficulties are our game. That's our life. Things are meant to be difficult. When I look at it objectively, I see it in a very different way. The proof of that is, is that you and I can both be going through an experience, and for you it's negative, and for me it's positive. It doesn't just mean that I have better eyes than you. It means that the, that the, the experience itself is not negative. It's what we do with it and how we deal with it. That's the negativity of it. And that's what he had an ability to do. He had an ability to see things objectively. You know that person that really annoys you? That you look at and you say, that is a nudnik par excellence. And then you talk to your friend and they say, you know, I love that guy. He's such a nice guy. And you're thinking, I'm wondering why I'm friends with you. (laughs) What's the matter with you? How do you think that guy's a nice guy? Don't you see that that person is the biggest nudnik in the world? No, they can't see it because they're not being subjective. They're not seeing the world the way you're seeing it. You're being subjective, which is, again, not bad. It's human, but you're seeing it through your life. That person doesn't fit in your life, but that doesn't mean they don't fit in anybody's life. That doesn't mean that they don't fit in life. When you look at it objectively, you can say that person's got a strength. That person's got a kayak. That person's got something positive to bring. That's what Rabbi Lezabin Hurkinus, that's why he was a premier student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, because he had the ability to see the positive, to be objective. And that was his quality. That was what he saw in the world. And that's why he said the worst quality is being subjective and ayin ra'a. Because in ayin ra'a, you forget another person. You can't live with another person being happy and being successful because it takes away from you because it's all about you. You're being subjective, not objective. That's the quality number one of student number one of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. I am going to attempt to do this four more times with all five students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to show the quality when he says that my student is Roa Esanolad, 
he's able to see what hasn't yet come into the world, how that is not a thing, that is a quality. Every one of these we're going to try to uncover and then show why they thought this was a the best quality and the worst quality. Okay, this is the format of the next couple of days. Okay, it's my uh, my idea for the day. Perfect.